Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hi, church family. Like you, I lament the absence, but it is good to be as together as we can be during these times. It's getting both old uh, saying and hearing this, but we're living in strange days. And I know a lot of us are trying to come back to the scriptures and discern what wisdom we may gain for a moment like this. And one of the things that's been interesting to me is I can't help but notice, more so than I have before, how displacement is a recurring feature of the experience of God's people throughout the biblical story. Uh, disruption, and again, more specifically, displacement, not being able to occupy the normal places in the normal ways, is probably more common in Scripture than you might think. I mean, right there from the beginning, after Adam and Eve, of course, eat, eat, of course, eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they are displaced and sent out of the garden that was their original homeland. You fast forward a little bit, and God's call to Abraham is not just a call to trust God where he currently is. It's actually a call to leave the place that he knows so well and go to a land that he will be introduced to along the way. You fast forward, that you know Abraham's descendants, Isaac and Jacob and all of his sons, and, and you read the book of Genesis, and by the end of the book of Genesis, they're, they're not in this land where God had taken Abraham. They actually are over in Egypt because of a famine. And then you pick up in Exodus, and 400 years later, the descendants of Abraham, the people of Israel, are still displaced now as slaves, crying out for God to take them back home. God, of course, does this when he sends Moses and he delivers the Israelites from slavery. But what should have been a relatively short journey back to the land is a wandering through the wilderness from place to place to place as they learn what it means to trust God. Eventually, of course, they get into the promised land and they establish themselves. But it's not a few centuries later that they have rebelled against God once again. And so in order to train them to actually trust in him, God sends them out into exile in various parts of the world at the time. You look at the New Testament, of course, there's Jesus who, like them, bounces from place to place and specifically says in some moments that there's no particularly place where, particular location where he lays his head and calls home. And, and then the Apostle Paul, who loved to travel but sometimes found himself in house arrest. You're not allowed to leave. And he had to find creative ways to do his ministry, to do kingdom work from those particular locations. So you can see that this happens throughout the story where people aren't in the places where they want to be or where they necessarily can, can flourish the most or work worship God in the ways that they expect. And probably the primary metaphor for this in the Bible is exile. And I don't think it's an accident that that's how, how Peter addresses the people of God, the people of Jesus. When he writes this letter, we call First Peter. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to First Peter, because we're going to continue working our way through this letter. And he starts the letter by saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the world. Strangers in strange lands, learning to live in these strange ways. And in in 1 Peter, the apostle speaks into exactly this part of our story as God's people. And just like Mark talked about last week, Peter wants to lift up our eyes to what God is doing and draws our attention to the ways in which God has always been working in the past. He will be drawing, he is drawing us into this glorious future. And in the meantime, he's working in our lives here and now. And Peter lifts our eyes up to this God and to the story that we're a part of, a story of a God who is in search of a people who will find joy in his glory and this God who will stop at nothing to get this thing that he wants. Now, more concretely in our text today, Peter calls us back in the midst of our displacement. He calls us back to the pursuit of holiness, to the active, intentional, effortful, focused commitment to continually and increasingly live as God commands. 
The text that we're going to be unpacking together today is actually the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. I want to read it for you and I want you to follow along. This is 1 Peter 1, 13 uh, through chapter, chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what he writes. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, he says, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good." Part of what we need to hear in this text is that there is never a bad time and there is never a bad place to pursue holiness. We know our experience of quarantine is not all the same. Some most people are basically fine if a little inconvenience, but a lot of folks have found themselves just as busy as ever with added pressures and now without the normal structures and routines that tend to keep things in place. And, And still others are truly suffering. But one thing we all have in common is that we've been thrown out of rhythm We've been disrupted. We are to varying degrees displaced. And let's be honest about it. This experience makes it hard to care about or focus on our personal pursuit of holiness. But sometimes the least urgent task is the most essential one. The things that are easiest to ignore sometimes are the very things that most deserve our attention. When we're displaced, when our lives are out of whack like they are currently, the list of urgent matters that demand immediate attention grows exponentially and it grows fast. You just think about some of the questions that we've been forced to think about more frequently over these past few weeks. What if I get the virus? What if I already have it? Who might I have infected? How would I know? What does it look like to maintain wisdom in this situation? Or what if I lose my job? What if I get furloughed? Or if you have, how long will I be furloughed? And even if not, how are we going to continue to pay all the bills? I've seen the bank statements. I've seen what's happening to the, to the investments. Like, what are we going to do months to come if things don't give? How can we be productive working from home? How can we navigate and help our children through all of this? And why are we developing allergic reactions to the word Zoom call? I mean, there's so many different things that we're experiencing now. So many questions that bubble to the surface. But one that doesn't naturally bubble to the surface is, am I being holy? Am I responding to the people around me the way that Jesus would if he were in my situation? I know I'm united to Christ by faith, so Christ is in me, but am I letting him shine through? Am I letting the spirit guide me thoroughly in all that I think and say and do? Am I keeping proper focus and exerting proper effort pursuing holiness? 
So let's pause for a second and define what we mean by, by holy or holiness. One, because it's always good to come back to the basics. And two, because I know for a lot of you, your families are watching together. And so we certainly want the children to understand what we're talking about as well. I actually think that uh, one of the best ways to think about holiness is with a toothbrush. I left it in the packaging because we're all germaphobes now. If you think about brushes and the amount of different kinds of brushes that you have in your home, we have uh, hair brushes and paint brushes, probably mascara brushes, maybe a grill brush or two. I probably could find an old car detailing brush from years ago when I worked at a, at a car cleaning place. And, and there's a number of different brushes and they all have their different func- functions, but there's only one kind of brush that we're going to put in our mouths. And it is, of course, the toothbrush. It is set apart for a specific purpose that is very important. And it is one that we would not mix with anything else. To be set apart is what it means to be holy. And for us in this context, to be holy means to be different, to be set apart from everything else. In this case, because you belong to God. Now, in concrete terms, it's about living the ways that God has commanded and designed for us to live. But it's not just about doing the right thing for doing the right thing's sake. It's doing the right things because we belong to God, because he has set us apart for himself. And so we pursue a certain way of life, even if that means we look different from everybody else. Here in this text in 1 Peter, he gives us wisdom on the what of holiness and the why of holiness. I really think he's drawing our attention to the why especially, and so we want to follow uh, course with what Peter's doing. But he does lay out the what for us, even if by way of reminder. So in short order, let's look at some of the things he talks about, um, some of the ways in which he he clearly here fleshes out what it means to be a holy person. The first one that I think we need to see is from chapter 1, verse 22, where he says, Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So love deeply. That's what it means to be a holy person and to live a holy life. Not just love shallowly, not just love a little bit, but love deeply. This this word um, that is translated deeply here, it, it speaks of the eagerness that is manifest when somebody perseveres in something. When somebody does something hard that takes a while, it shows a certain valuing. I was thinking about this the other day. My family was taking a walk and don't worry, we were doing our best to stay six feet away from everybody around us, which can get complicated when a lot of people are walking down the street. But I remember we were walking down the street and I saw this one guy. I don't actually, it's a neighbor of mine that's a bit of a ways off. I don't, I don't know him, but man, he was power washing his driveway. And this man was taking so much care and attention to clean every speck of dust us off every inch of this thing. And we just stopped for a minute and watched. My family's like, let's go. And I'm like, this is interesting to me. I can't believe this man cares so much about this. He didn't even see us. He was so focused and I didn't want to interrupt him, but I'm looking at him doing this and I'm thinking, man, clearly this is a really important thing to you. Either that, or you're just trying to find something to do with your time. I don't know. And I think that's kind of the attitude that Paul, that Peter's describing here. He says that we should live in such a way that people could look at us and say, man, clearly like loving people is really important to you guys. Yeah. Yeah, it actually is. Love deeply. He also gives us some negatives to understand what to avoid in in times like these, which is all the time. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all, pay attention to the words here, of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. I encourage you when this thing is over to have a conversation with whoever you're watching this with and to share your own definitions of these terms, children as well. And it's not even so much in this case about trying to find the precise, accurate term. I would imagine that we would define some of these words in chapter 2, verse 1, a little bit differently. And maybe we're not exactly getting at the precise nuance that Peter has in mind. But I guarantee that if you do this, you're going to have a pretty good picture of how not to engage life in quarantine. We could summarize this all by saying, don't be hateful. 
Love deeply and don't be a hateful person. Be disposed toward those around you in favorable ways to build them up for good. Don't just make them uh, opportunities for you to engage in selfishness. And then the last thing that Peter throws in here at the end is drink from God's word. In the next verse, he's already said a few things about God's word. And he says here, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The babies want nothing more than milk. And he's saying to us, want nothing more than the word. Crave the word of God. Drink deeply from the wells of what God has revealed to us. If you do have extra time on your hands during this season, you will regret not spending more of it in the word. And if you don't have extra time on your hands, we will regret not making time for the word. So love deeply, don't be hateful and drink from, drink from God's word. Now, since half of learning is remembering what we already know, we're, we're grateful to Peter for the reminder that this isn't anything that we didn't know before. And Peter knows this isn't new for us. He, he figures we probably have a pretty decent picture of what to do next. He just wants to, again, remind us of some of what these things look like. But what he does as a matter of emphasis in this section, I think it's pretty brilliant given the fact that he's addressing displaced people who may very well be struggling to stay properly motivated for holiness. That's the issue right now. How can I be motivated for the things that aren't demanding my immediate attention? Can I be absolutely certain that this particular pursuit is worth it? That's the question I think that stands behind the text. That's the question that the text answers. Peter focuses us on the why of holiness. Why pursue holiness? Well, first of all, because we walk a better way when we walk in the path of holiness. Look at the way Peter characterizes the two paths available to us and compares them, really. A path that rejects holiness is described as evil. He talks about the evil desires you had. It's described as ignorant, somebody who doesn't even understand the reality that we live in. It's described as an empty way of life. By contrast, it's a false way of life. And then he ends by talking about how it's perishable. It's something that's destined to just sort of fall away with time. And by contrast, the life that embraces holiness is, is good. It's described using words like having an alert and sober mind. It's a full way of life. It's based on the truth and it has a stability that lasts. It's a pretty different picture. And maybe you think Peter's being a little bit dramatic about whether or not we do the things that he's saying. Maybe you think he's just trying to use big, intense concepts so that we could be manipulated into walking how he wants. I don't know. I mean, you judge for yourself. When you compare a life centered on self that doesn't care about anybody else with a life centered on love, you tell me if he's being dramatic. One of the things that I've had to remember personally and one of the things that I've noticed more intensely during quarantine life is how much our moods can impact those around us. Remember there was a day, a few, a couple, probably about a week or so ago, I was just in a place, you know, and I guess you do know I was at my house, but you know what I mean? Like I was just in a place mentally. I just woke up. I wasn't angry. I just really wasn't interested in thinking about anybody other than myself. And I really, it didn't take me very long because we're so, you know, compacted together. Right? And it did take me very long, probably less than an hour or so to realize that if I didn't course correct and shift my attitude and shift my approach to the world and the people around me, then this would become a very unproductive and unenjoyable day for the three people forced to share my space. If I just said, forget it, I'm doing me today. I mean, is that, is that good? Is that, a, is that a sober approach to life? Is that a full life based on truth? Is that a stable way to roll? Hardly. No, that path really is evil and foolish and empty and based on the lie that I matter most and destined for destruction with all sorts of collateral damage along the way. The way of holiness is a better way here and now. Peter wants to make that very clear. But he also recognized what we know, which is that if you do love deeply, sometimes that means getting burned. 
And if you do follow the way of Jesus, that's not always going to work out for you in every way in this particular life. And throughout the letter, Peter will directly address multiple times the suffering that often comes toward those who are being faithful to God in a strange land. But that's not a deal breaker, us, because the value of holiness transcends this particular phase of human history. Why pursue holiness? First of all, because we walk a better way, but secondly, because we await a better hope. This gets the most attention from Peter and right there from the start. The first command in this text is not be holy. The first command in this text is set your hope on the grace that's coming to you when Jesus is revealed. Don't miss the connection that Peter's making. When we fix our eyes properly on eternity, this doesn't make us less helpful to our world. It turns us into the very kind of people that the world needs because it reorients us to what matters. When all you can see is today, the objects in your line of sight seem much more important than they are. And this is classic biblical wisdom that drips from almost every page of the New Testament. You cannot evaluate the moment from within the moment any more than you can evaluate a family vacation when you're halfway to your destination. And maybe this is a bad analogy right now because we're not able to do the things that we can normally do, but you've probably been there before and you can imagine it even if you're not, if you've not, you know, your eight hour drive to wherever you're headed and you're gonna spend the weekend or the week there and you've got all sorts of fun things planned and everybody in the family is gonna have a blast. But halfway there, the kids say, man, are we there yet? This is not very fun. You guys told us this was gonna be amazing. And you just wanna shake them and say, yeah, well, if you evaluate this particular moment in light of this particular moment, of course it doesn't seem worthwhile. But if you just wait and recognize the bigger picture that this is contributing to, then you will understand that even in this moment, there are things that are worth celebrating. And at the very least, you will recognize that it is worth it for us to be here and for us to continue going the direction that we're going. And when we walk the path of holiness, we may still be on the way, but we know the destination. And that makes all the difference for which road we travel from here to forever. Now, I want you to see, though, some of the ways in which Peter makes this point. I don't just want you to take my word for it. Let's look at some of the specific statements that Peter says. He says in uh, verse 13, once more, there's that initial command, set your hope on the grace that is coming to you, that's going to be brought to you or given to you when Jesus is fully revealed to be king of the world. He says in verse 17, to look ahead to the Father's impartial judgment and to keep keep this in mind as you make your way in the world. In verse 19, he says, remember that you're covered by the sacrificial blood of Christ who's offered up as his precious blood is offered up because he's a lamb without blemish or defect. This is the sacrificial language of the Old Testament where the sacrifice dies in in place of the sinner. And then in verse 23, he says, the seed of salvation is imperishable seed. It will endure forever. It isn't just for now, it's for eternity. You can probably see how all of this fits together. Uh, Life exists in, as, 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 as the preview to judgment. One day this phase of the story is going to end and we will all find ourselves at this time of reckoning, standing before the, the throne of God's judgment, answering for the things that we've done. And for those without an advocate, this is not something to look forward to. But we have an advocate who silences whatever accusations may be justly brought against us. And does this mean that since we're off the hook, we just live as we please? Hardly. That's like so far from what Peter's saying. If we think that, if we think that this is just freedom to do whatever the heck we want, then we understand neither the ugliness of our own sin nor the beauty of Christ's victory. And if we live it up right now as if holiness doesn't matter, I think we show the lack of faith in our minds and hearts and the thought of judgment should be anything but comforting. But as we trust in God and as we live accordingly, as we allow the spirit to transform us, as we engage in effort to try to be the people that we're being called to be, pursuing ever deeper love for the very real people in our corner of the kingdom, we have confidence 
in the stability of our hope and the confidence of the grace that is coming our way. And so we look forward to judgment. We know that our acts of obedience and love don't earn us anything, but they demonstrate to the world and to us that we are people who believe and they increase the joy of that reunion so that judgment becomes something that we eagerly await. Do you have the kind of faith that turns the promise of judgment day into good news? Do I? I think Peter is saying, well, look at your lives to see. Why should you pursue holiness? (laughs) Because we're waiting for a better hope. And while in the meantime, everything about our lives right now shifts unpredictably from one update to the next, the stability of our hope is anchored in the one thing that never changes. Why pursue holiness? Because we worship a better God. In the interest of getting back to basics, of remembering what chaos inclines us to overlook, let's not forget that God reveals his own self to us in scripture. He doesn't tell us everything as if we could understand it if he did, but he certainly tells us enough. And God is often described in scripture using, using attributes. So he's, he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Sometimes he's described using titles. So the Psalms speak of a God who is most high, a God who is our shepherd and our rock and our shelter and our refuge and our king. Peter focuses in on a couple of key truths. I just want to notice them with you. He says, first of all, don't forget that God is holy. He's not calling you to be something other than what he is. No, the call to holiness is a call to participate in God's very own perfection. Be holy because I am holy. That's not a lame reason to pursue holiness. God is both loving father and impartial judge. We see here that we are his his children called to belong to him, called and invited to call him father. And that he's also the judge who will indeed uh, pronounce justice over the world and establish goodness forever. So he calls us his own just as we are. And yet rather than leave us as a mess, he actually makes us people who are fit for his presence. And don't miss the connection to the character of God that you see here when he mentions the cross. God, this father judge, demonstrates this combination, this, this, this perfect coherence of attributes when he sends Jesus to die as a sacrifice for our sins, to shed his blood, accomplishing this plan of redemption that was set in place before the beginning of anything. And finally, he says, the father raises this son from the dead, demonstrating his unique worthiness of our hope and faith. Now, I have no interest in doing all of the work for you, nor would it be good for me to do so, the work of meditating on this text until you see God more closely and more clearly than whatever else is currently in view. You read the text again and again when this is over. You ask the relevant questions. What kind of a God is revealed here? And what difference does that make for how I approach today? Not how does that change today, because it might not change today. Today may remain the same, but it changes our disposition toward today. Because what today is, we haven't really begun to understand until we begin to look at it in the light of who God is. And when you do this, when you think on what God has revealed about himself, please remember that these are not past facts. You and I can engage in these little games we play where we talk about things that were once true of us but are no longer the case I used to be stronger, weaker, happier, sadder, shorter, healthier, faster. God cannot participate in that discussion (laughs) because if something was once true about God, it will always be true about God. Believe it or not, I found an encouraging thought on Twitter this last week. I was as surprised as you are. Here was the thing I saw. This person tweeted, here is a comforting thought. The more things change, the more God stays the same. And this tweet was sent in December 2019, but man, is it timely in spring 2020. Even now, even here, 
in this strange season of displacement, we have every reason to pursue holiness with perpetual determination, with perseverance, with endurance, with dogged passion to become the people God has made us to be. Because when we do this, we walk a better way, we await a better hope, and we worship a better God. Here in just a moment, you're gonna have an opportunity to reflect together on some questions that are gonna come on the screen. But before we do that, we wanna take communion together. And we want you to remember that these things that we're discussing right now are never more clear than when we look at the cross. Now, of course, we would prefer to be physically together in this moment, passing back and forth the the bread and the juice that represent the body and blood of Jesus, but we're united in spirit. And we can still celebrate the truth of the gospel, even if we're only together in this strange way. So after I pray, I'd like for you to grab the elements that are available to you to take communion together as we do so as a church family and then to spend some time discussing what God may have communicated to you through this text. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to be as together as is wise in this time. We pray that you would continue to speak wisdom over us. We pray that you would continue to draw us closer toward one another. Uh, We pray that you would help us to support each other in whatever ways are available to us and to demonstrate your love to those inside and outside the family of faith. And we ask right now that you would just give us a vision of the way that you called us to and its superior value to other ways, of the hope that you promised and the stability of what's coming our way, and most of all, of you yourself. Help us to think on these things as we take the bread and juice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.